Well, hello, hello. And you are listening Reta and Improimese podcast. Ta-da! Well, and this time in English. Um, I had a great pleasure to interview Trent Pansy. And what could I say about Trent? Well, uh, I really admire his energy and he, he has like done a lot. He has brought uh, Chicago style impro to Finland and he has uh, founded this amazing festival with, which is in June. You should go to FIF, absolutely. Um, FIF is uh, Finland International Improv Festival, which has like great workshops and great shows. You should go. Uh, last year I was there and it was really, really amazing. Yeah, and I'm waiting this summer again. Well, um, but what should I say about Trent? I don't know. You should listen to what Trent has to say because he. He says he talks English better than me, and uh, he can he can say about him a lot better than me. So just listen and enjoy this fluent English that Trent speaks, not me. But yeah, okay. Have a nice listening. Ba, 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 ba. Okay, let's start. All right. Um, how did you uh, come? How did you know? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you need to keep that in there. That's yeah, okay. I think I do have to keep it. Uh, so, how did you get a known with known with improv or theater? Um, so I think my whole life I was just performing. I was, you know, the annoying kid in school who was always making jokes, but I wasn't. I wasn't like an asshole about it. Um, I also. Oh, you didn't think about. It. No, like there, there were class clowns, and I wasn't a class clown. I was just I needed attention a lot, and so um, I was in. I think my first production, just like a small kindergarten skit when I was four, it was the Big Bad Wolves, uh, or the Three Little Pigs rather, in French, and then, uh, then from there on, I just kept doing little, the little things that every normal elementary school kid does but then when I went to middle school I started doing like drama club and then in high school that uh, I was in the play every year except for my last year but that's because the play got cancelled um, and I always knew I wanted to be a performer I wanted to be in television I wanted to be in, in movies but I'm from Michigan which is in the Midwest which is a place kind of like it's kind of like the Ampere of <laughs> You do work and you roll up your sleeves and you keep your head down and you don't think highly of yourself. You don't think you're better than anyone else. You just, you know, you work to work. And I didn't see anybody who was like a direct access from like my community towards being in television and movies and stuff. And so I didn't really think I could make it. I didn't really think I could do anything like that professionally. And I went to, um, I knew I wanted to do theater when I went to university, but I couldn't, I didn't think 
uh, I went to a really small school. I didn't think I'd be able to like audition and get in because we didn't have that many resources. We did two plays a year. But um, what I did was I went to a really small university called Kalamazoo College. Um, and it's a liberal arts school, which means that you don't focus. I mean, you do focus in one area, but you also have to take classes in every, you know, science, history, philosophy, language, math, um, the humanities, all of it. Um, you have to take a certain number of, of courses. And I thought I was going to do psychology. And so I took my first psych class at the same time as I took a theater course. Um, and I was, I got a, like a C plus or something or B minus in my psych class. And I always got good grades and I got an A in the theater course and I knew I wanted to do theater. Um, and I, th I think at that point I was like, well, I'm better at this. It's easier for me. Um, <laughs> it, it felt like less work for me. And so I was like, cool. So I, then I decided to study theater, um, in theater where I went to, because it was a liberal arts school, you couldn't just study acting. You also had to study directing, playwriting, lighting design, set design, costumes, you know, everything. And you couldn't just be on stage. You also had to be doing other things for other parts of plays as well. Um, so I, that's, that's, that was the path that I took. And I, I have a bachelor's degree, um, a liberal arts bachelor's degree in theater arts. For improv, I think like a lot of people, my first exposure to it was Whose Line Is It Anyway? Um, and then my, like the f first or second day I was at school in university, I went to see the, like the welcoming week improv show and it blew my mind. I, th I have a theory that the first live improv show you see is the best one you'll ever see because from there on in, like you have stuff to compare to, but that first exposure is like insane. Um, and so I auditioned for them, uh, like right away. And the, I remember the first scene I did. Um, I was peeing, uh, <laughs> and I did not get cast. And so then I took a theater course and then I took an improv course through my university. And then I kept auditioning and kept not getting in doing more theater, kept auditioning, kept not getting in doing more theater, kept auditioning, kept not getting in. And then I, my last year, my senior year, I auditioned and I got in, um, and I've been, and I went to, um, they had like weekly improv jams every like Wednesday night or something. Um, and I went to every single one of those. I never missed one of those. Um, and then once I started doing improv, it was like, that's, I knew that was it. Um, the school I went to, we had to do like a bachelor's thesis. And so for my bachelor's thesis, I wanted to do a sketch comedy troupe and write about it. And in order to do your thesis, you had to have a research element. So I went to um, Chicago for a week and I took an improv course and a sketch comedy course at Second City for just one week, stayed with a friend there. And that completely changed my life. I knew from there, I was like, this is awesome. So then I went back my senior year and I um, did my thesis, which was I had um, auditions, cast a team, taught them the writing stuff I had learned. We wrote all the sketches. I directed it, performed it, and then I produced the show. Um, and included in that was also sort of like a research part that was like the history of improv and sketch comedy and comedy in general, um, you know, kind of from its inception uh, in the mid-50s in, in Chicago. So I knew from that point on that that was something I wanted to do. And then I 
after I graduated, um, sorry, it's a long answer, but uh, after I graduated, I went and I got an internship at Second City in the production office. So when I was 21, I moved to Chicago and I did um, an internship there. And I also worked two other jobs and then I started doing improv as soon as I had the time. Um, and I, I did a ton of improv. I did the Second City, the Second City Musical Improv Program, the Second City Improv Program, the IO Training Program, all at once. Um, which is like a year and a half long, those things combined. And then uh, I just did a bunch of improv on the side of that. So how was it in Chicago? <sighs> For me, in 2006, when I moved there, um, it was Mecca. It was heaven. It was everything you wanted to do with improv for improv because comedy... Well, improv had been around and it was starting to get a little bit of, like, um, not publicity, but just a little more traction. Wind, like Yeah, yeah. More people were starting to realize that, oh, improv is really fun. And Stephen Colbert's show had just started, I think, two or three years before. And he came through Second City. And um, the cast of SNL almost, you know, every season, a handful of them came through um, Second City or somewhere in Chicago or then maybe the Groundlings out in L.A. or something like that. And it was starting people notice like, oh, if you want to do comedy acting, you should go study improv. And the best place to go is Chicago. Not only because at the time that was like the like the most concentrated like area of different training programs, but in Chicago on any given night, you can see 100 different improv shows spread throughout the city. And now I've been I haven't been there. I've moved away from there over seven years ago it's just continued to explode um and continued to expand and grow and grow to the point where i don't know if i would recognize it anymore so you have talking about uh, like comedy comedy acting mm -hmm. and stuff uh do you think that impro that do you like impro like um uh, it's more like comedy thing because i know some people like uh to do com uh imp with impro like comedy and some trauma and stuff and stuff but um, how do you I think when I started I definitely was drawn to the fact of um, the comedy aspect of it I've always known I was funny <laughs> but I didn't know how to be funny learning improv studying improv and most importantly teaching helped me understand how to be funny I'm 33 I have two kids and I run my own improv based business in Finland and my priorities have shifted a lot Um, since I moved here, I have a, I earned a second bachelor's degree in international media production, and I just finished a master's in screenwriting. And all of those things affect the kind of shows I like to do. I love, I like improv because it can be anything of those. And I subscribe to the belief that like for long form improv, and I don't mean narrative improv, I just mean improv that's not spe like specified short form games. I think long form improv is the show knows what it wants to be. And um, if there's eight people on stage, it would be a different show if there were only seven or if there were nine or if one person was switched out for another one. The audience is there. If there's 50 people in the audience, it'd be a different show if there were 10. It'd be a different show if there was 51. Um, and I like to follow the energy that the show is starting to take rather than forcing it to try to become something. I definitely did not have that in me 
until after I started doing improv in Finland and in Europe in general, where there's this thing about young improvisers in Chicago, at least, where they, a lot of people start doing short form and then they merge to long form and then they look at short form and they go, oh, that's bullshit or um, whatever. And they don't, there's not a ton of just straight improvised narrative plays. I think somehow this, 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 the idea of like, like you can get more response from the audience of being funny. And I think it's harder to be funny than it is to be dramatic. But I think that honing all of your skills, storytelling, comedy, uh, like acting work, understanding emotions, listening, all of those things, the more you know about them, the more you know what element this show should be and you know how to play that element for for that show and for that audience. Um, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you were talking about about like a, a the difference like uh, when you come came here in Finland. Mm. Do you uh, see like difference in impro in like USA or in Finland or in Europe? I can only really talk about my experience in the 2000s because I moved here in 2010. Um, And the answer there is absolutely yes, a big difference. Um, I can talk, improv is bigger in the US than most other places. And I think there's a larger variety of, I mean, it's a big country and there's a ton of like throughout the different regions and different states, Every there's individual theaters in each city and they all have their own, you know, way that they approach improv. Um, so I think it's, <clears throat> It's easier to see more, do more, learn more in the U.S. from each other than it is here in Finland. And what I first noticed when I came to Finland was the improv I saw was either short-form game stuff or narrative play. And that's fine. I like both of those things. But the thing I didn't see was this, like... Uh, thing that focused on the connection, and I don't think I realized this until, until I started teaching, but um, something that focused on the connection of the people rather than, than the story that you're telling. So now the kind of improv that I try to teach, like if you had to say I, I was teaching one thing, I, I teach lots of different elements, but the one thing I try to teach is that we focus on the relationship between the characters and having honest connections between them, and like a grounded reality for those characters rather than what the outcome of the story in terms of like action sequences is going to be because the reason that we like stories is because we care about the people in the stories and if the people who are on stage if we don't care about them then we're not going to care about your improvised story at all yeah yeah but in the u.s there's a and i think it's probably shifting maybe not maybe it's gotten worse it's like it's more cutthroat than here it's more competitive What? like uh -huh. it's I need to be the best on my team so that I get put onto the better team so that I can get and do an audition for SNL or I can get better at my blog or web series or whatever the thing is and I, I started in Chicago just when web series were sort of becoming a thing like 2007 2008 they were just starting to like become something um, and so a lot of people have moved there to be better at those things that they want to do And there is, um, there are more people, I think, in the U.S. who use improv as a stepping stone to get somewhere. 
then there are people who do it just for the fun of doing improv. But there are a lot of people who just do it for fun, too. Um, here, I think there's... Um, I think the Finnish and in general, because I was asking around recently, like the European approach to how you have an improv team, it's really bizarre to me because there is no improv theater. There's not much of an improv community, but there's a ton of improvisers. But every team, if they want to have tickets and charge for their tickets and charge for their shows, they have to form either a business or an association. And that's a huge like step for someone to want to be able to do that. Um, and it creates these sort of boundaries. And so I think if you're in a team, you're also most likely on an association. Um, if you're on a team, you're in an association. And I think that can be make it difficult for people to want to do more outside of just their team and try to do more experimental fun projects and try to just do improv for the love of performing and the love of, you know, uh, doing the improv itself. Um, and that's been the biggest, I think, struggle for me going forward once I realized that of, okay, well, I think the thing that's missing in Dombre is having a home, like a theater, a community for improv. But that's also missing in general throughout Europe. Not a lot of European cities have like a theater where lots of different teams do improv. Yeah. Maybe that's mm, like the reason is like in Finland there are lots of rules. Like yeah, but I was money and, and I was talking in Germany and they had the same thing and in Sweden they had the same thing. So like it's not just a Finnish thing. Yeah. Um, I think in the U.S., it, it, not just the U.S., who knows, but like a lot of improv teams show up to play at an improv theater and they're excited just to play and they might not take any money of the ticket sales. And if they do, the individual actors can charge um, kind of like through like a Toiminimi kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I understand that here, if you have your toiminimi, it's kind of committing to putting yourself in a certain like tax bracket. So it's really difficult, I think, for actors or improvisers to choose to do that to have other ways of, you know, making income than just working for a company. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard. Like when you are free freelancer, yeah, mm. you don't you don't get to have like toiminimi, or you don't have any benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think maybe as an American, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to have any benefits. So, like, <laughs> that's been something that was never a barrier for me. Um, I, I've always worked in restaurants um, or for myself doing improv stuff. And so I've never worked in, like, an office. I've never worked for, like, I don't know, like, like a, a job. I've just, you know, I use my comedy skills as a waiter in the U.S. to make really good money waiting tables i made two to four hundred dollars every night being myself and wearing jeans and you know sneakers and a t-shirt and so why would i go sit behind a desk i did get health benefits from that company but not very many of the other employees did so like it's just a different for me at least it's been a different like perspective of you know what the it's a give and take of what are you willing to not have in order to have certain kinds of freedom i think yeah So you have done a lot of like when you have come in Finland, came to, <laughs> and uh, you have like uh, done this uh, awesome festival and foundation of like improv school and and uh, yada yada improv team and stuff. How do you have time and energy? Um, I don't have time. I, <laughs> I, I, I there's a lot of things that 
uh, normal people do that I don't. Um, like, basically, all of my day is either something based in improv, whether it's, you know, building a website or designing a logo or producing a show or performing or connecting with the company who wants me to host an event for them or do a training or something. It's like the work of getting work or the actual work itself, or then I'm home with my family. Um, and both of those things are super exhausting, improv and being home with two young kids. <laughs> and so uh, it's it's definitely a struggle. I'm a workaholic. My mom was a workaholic. I don't think we know how to relax. I was just telling you that before we started recording. <laughs> and so uh, that's a double-edged sword of that's good because it makes me, it pushes me to work, but it's bad because sometimes, especially when you're tired, the decisions you make aren't the best and the quality of work isn't necessarily up to your standard. And um, right now, if you can tell listening, I'm a little bit sick. Um, and that's from overworking myself in October and November. Um, but that's part of it too. Being a freelancer, especially you take what you get when you get it and you try to push your way through it all. Um, the biggest challenge in terms of all of those things you talked about, the festival, yada, yada, starting my own business here is the, it, not just bureaucracy, but like the, just the legal rules, <laughs> I guess that's bureaucracy of how you have to do stuff is something I wasn't interested in learning or, you know, paying, atten <laughs> paying attention to. And now I'm, that's all kind of caught up. And so yada, yada is an official association for the past five or six years. Um, the improv festival used to be run through yada yada, and now to, we separated it so the improv festival is its own association, and we're um, trying to actually do more with that association than just the festival. My goal would be—I don't know if I should say this—but like my goal would be that the <laughs> yeah, well, the association I would like to be the entity behind other improv shows, improv events, workshops, weekends away, things like that, and rather than me doing that through my business because that's not the kind of I'm only doing it personally because I want it to happen here in in Dambra and I don't make money from it and I'd rather have other people do it who can make money from it in addition to other stuff that they do and I just want it to still happen so um, my goal is that the association that does Thief would be able to start to do some of those things so and we're talking about that right now um, yeah Again, not sure I answered your question. <laughs> I don't remember the question, but... It was about how do I have time and energy. And... <laughs> how did you came up with the idea of FIF? Um, so, when I was in the US, I went to three or four improv festivals, um, all in different states, and they were all great for different reasons. When I moved here, Like after a year or so, I met Janne Jarvinen from Snorkeling. We met at a Snorkeling gig. You might have been there, actually. No. You weren't there? In, in Juvesco, though? At the Improv Marathoni? 25-hour Improv Marathon? Uh, when was it? Uh, maybe 2011. I, I wasn't in Snorkeling Oh, okay, yet. okay. So Snorkeling had a gig there, and I had a gig there with the two-man show I was doing um, with Ilka Van Habertog. From, but he was from Uvascula, and so I was driving there or taking the train there two hours to rehearse with him for a couple hours and coming back, and then we did the show. And I met Janne, who was from Tampere, 
And I asked if he wanted to do some stuff in English. He said, sure. We met, we started rehearsing with a couple of people he recommended um, from other teams. And then we got this show at uh, O'Connell's, which turned into a monthly gig. Um, and we were doing improv together as a team, was trying to like figure out the team um, for maybe a year. And we came, we had a, a Picuyolo gig. Um, I don't remember who for. And it was an okay show. You know, Picuyolo aren't great improv shows if they're not in an improv venue, which doesn't exist um, because it's just kind of like you feel always like you're in the way of them doing their drunk conversation, <laughs> you know, having fun with their coworkers and stuff. Um, but we did an English show. And after the show, I remember I was home and I couldn't sleep. And a lot of nights when I can't sleep, it's because I'm thinking about art and life and what do I want? <laughs> like this, whatever. Um, and I got out of bed and I sat down and I said, like, what's missing? What would I like to what would I like to achieve with this improv team? And I said, well, I keep talking about these things I learned in Chicago, but I'm not the best person to teach them. So what if I invited any number of my friends who I either teachers or my old coaches or whoever to come from Chicago and teach a couple of classes and do a couple of shows? And then I said, well, why not also add some finished performers and some non-finished performers? And I just came, wrote down a couple of basic ideas that turned into this um, the first day of the first festival, which was mm, two days, I think six teams, um, and maybe six workshops or something like that. And then, um, that was, that was the idea for it. Yeah. I, the first time it happened, I ran it cause I was a first year student, I think at, um, the Tomk media, international media. And I ran it as a student project. So we had funding from the school to do this, which was great and a bunch of student volunteers. And then it went terribly, like the improv part was fun, the community part was fun, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I remember the Saturday, the, first, the only day of workshops, I had all the rooms, but I never put like what names went on what room and I didn't tell anyone when they were <laughs> registering or um, so, and there was only one key on four different floors to, you had to have to get into each room. So. I was running up and downstairs, writing <laughs> names on doors and doing all this stuff, just generic, like first time festival rookie mistakes that we learned from. Um, and now we're starting to plan the seventh festival. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite festival of these six? That we've had? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> favorite how? They're hard. They're really hard. I mean, they're hard to do. It went from being this thing that I just did for me because I wanted to see more improv and I wanted to have more chances to perform and learn and teach and grow and see. And so it went from that to being like, okay, well now it's a job. Um, and it is a job. Like as a freelancer, it's, I'm one of the paid producers to produce the festival. We don't get paid much, but we get paid a little bit. Um, and I'm the artistic director. And so I do a lot. Um, And the first couple of years were super fun because it was all just, we weren't getting paid. We weren't, we were just doing this out of our own desire um, and learning and growing. And like, um, that was really fun. The energy was fun because it was, um, it was a side thing. And now it's become my main gig for four months out of the year, which is hard. Um, 
is a lot of time and energy. I think as a producer, I can't answer that question. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I think as a like an artistic director, the last year's festival, I think, was the most fun only in terms of, I think, the quality of the shows last year were outstanding. And I think it finally started to get attention of non-improvisers in Finland. Um, it's already, it's always had attention of improvisers outside of Finland. And then maybe after like year two or three, it got attention of improvisers inside of Finland. And last year, I think we finally started getting attention of improvisers outside of Finland, um, which was great. And now we had just like a stellar lineup of teams and shows and workshops. And this year is going to be really hard to match up right be even or better and so i'm not trying to be even or better i'm just trying to show different things yeah we'll see really early early on in the like production schedule of like figuring out all the teams and instructors and things like that so so you are teaching in in pro academy mm -hmm. and you're founded it so, mm -hmm. uh, so uh when when did you found it? So, back when um, the first year I was here, I was doing a tourism degree in Tomk, and I didn't like it much. <laughs> um, I thought because I was doing, because uh, I had always worked in like restaurants, I thought it was a good degree because I could do hospitality management, and I thought maybe I'd open my own restaurant or bar. Um, and in the middle of that year, I was like, okay, I need to do some improv stuff but I don't have anyone that I know of that does improv at all. So I just started like asking friends of mine if they wanted to come to like free sessions and we did it a couple a month. Um, and that turned into, uh, after we started Yada Yada, then, are we okay on time? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are we recording? <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that turned into, after Yada Yada we were rehearsing, I said, um, we were going to have auditions and I asked if it was okay if some of the people that auditioned if I offered them to teach improv to them um, and in hopes that they could some you know learn and grow and become part of yada yada in the future and so you know there were maybe six people that who didn't get in that started taking my sessions and it was just one day a week for like five euros cash or something and anyone could come and do anything uh, and then that turned into, um, like, okay, no, it doesn't make sense because sometimes there's three people, sometimes there's 16, sometimes, you know, no one has any experience, sometimes people are doing it for six months. So then I started doing, like, two separate groups of more advanced players and newer players. And then that turned into sort of, like, a slow, like, level system, but I still let people come in kind of any point that they want and just teaching kind of in like a round schedule where they would learn things eventually. And I realized that wasn't creating great improvise. Like, okay, that's not true. That wasn't, the, that wasn't, that wasn't teaching improv the most effective way because some people were struggling and some people were, because it was all too much and some were struggling because they'd already done it. And I figured that wasn't fair. So after maybe three or four years, I kind of came up with like an actual structure. And then we were doing improv we were the space we had been using was free and then the people that we were using the space for free from without them knowing uh moved and so <laughs> i had to find a new space and we went to the back room of what used to be aussie bar which is now living room which you have a, your yeah. students have a show there tonight um 
So we were in the back there rehearsing on like Mondays and we had to move all the furniture every time and like mop the floor and sweep up the broken glass. And it, it wasn't amazing. Um, and they were still paying me like to come and take my classes. And so then I was like, okay, I need to find a place that I can actually like teach and rent out. And I was renting um, this room for like uh, maybe like 25 euros a night. Um, per class, which was fine because I'd make that money back. And I kind of did some math and I, I started asking other people to teach other levels with me in English. And then we were doing two of them and it ended up being about 400 euros a month. And I said, well, if I can find a place of my own that's five or 600 a month or more or around that, I can do whatever I want with it. And so I found the place we're in now uh, and I built it up and we have a classroom, small classroom, but it works. And um, it's been, yeah, been renting this for two and a half years. And uh, um, in order to fill the space and make more money from it, I started trying new things, doing weekend workshops, doing like intensive courses, doing four week courses, you know, drop ins. And then I, the whole time I've been sort of like sharpening and honing the the training program. And now this is actually the, my students are my level two right now. They're the technically the first students to go through the full program they will be the like, first students to go through the full program as it should be designed because the last students who did um they did like levels one and two flipped because i kind of came up with it after they'd already done the first <laughs> level so this one but then the rest of it was kind of the right arc so these these students will kind of if those who stay the whole time will go through the whole program the way it should be cool yeah I have long answers to your questions. <laughs> yeah. And I have questions, but I forget them. <laughs> well, feel free to in, feel free to like stop me and interrupt me and um, yeah. Well, um, what should I ask next? Um, uh, well, you said like uh, that you have like interesting like uh, the people in the scene yep. being like real and. Uh, the focus on that is that like what's uh interesting in you in impro now or is there somebody something else that you like to teach or as a teacher do you mean or in a or actor as a teacher that's always going to be first and foremost is what's going on between the two people and what we can do honestly there whether that's something ridiculous um so if one of the exercises i teach is that like no matter what the first player says, second player should have an emotional reaction to it that's honest from the beginning. So if you are planning to have like an excited reaction, right? And no matter what I say to you, you have this excitement reaction. If that's an honest, if we continue building the scene under the understanding that your excitement to whatever I say is honest, right? <gasps> Then we've already set the ground of like, oh, this is real. Yeah. And it makes it easier for the audience to believe it and for us to believe it and build upon it. And then we play like if then. So if I say like the, the dog got ran over by a car and you're excited by it, oh, then we say, yes. why are we excited about it? What does this mean? Great. Yeah. We get insurance payback or finally we can get the dog we've always wanted or yeah. fucking grandma. We've hated that dog forever, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is. And I don't know what energy you're going to have when I say something. So I have to be in tune with you of how you react to what I say. And you have to be in tune with me and I have to react to your reaction. So that's what I mean by the relationship between the characters being honest. And it doesn't matter if it's a ridiculous premise or if it's like a serious, regular, normal world premise. If we if then it, 
then we're going to continue to build this up and then we learn about our characters together. And I think usually when I'm coaching scenes where they get stuck is they go, now what? And I always say, which I think was taught to me probably by Joe Bill or something back in Chicago of like, when you don't know where to go, you just take it to the relationship and you just turn to that person and you say something about your relationship with them or about what this means now or whatever it is, because that's what's more interesting than I don't care if people ever get to the store if their argument is about whether or not they're able to go to the store, there's something deeper inside of there. I don't care about you improvising a improvised journey to an improvised store and you improvise by an improvised, you know, product. Yeah. You can't see any of it. But what you can see, the only thing you can see are the characters and their relationship. So that's how I teach. I don't I'm also teaching other things and I'm finding new ways to teach that. Um as a performer the place that I think I need to work on the most in the area I'm most excited about, I don't know if I'll ever get there, is um, being more physical and relying less on words and acting and emotions and things and figuring out how I can use my body as a tool more effectively. Uh, part of that is because I, I, I don't do it, number one, I'm out of shape. Uh, and I need to I need to find a way to get into shape and then number two I want to do more physicality um, that's one of the reasons why we're bringing Morgan here to do his mind oh, workshop with everyone yeah. so. that sounds cool yeah. but I have classes yeah there's all kinds of it's great that there's like so many improv shows going on that yeah. people can't come because they're going to another one that's nice yeah and it sounds like a fun workshop yeah it should be yeah, yeah. oh well um Uh, what do you think that uh, um, divides, like, or does anything divides, like, a professional impro actor, or uh, who does this, like, just for fun? Um, I think it's the same thing that anyone who wants to do art and is committed to making art, um, you, it's not a safe world. There's no guarantees at all. Um, I think the longer you do that art, the better you get at it and the options become bigger and it takes a long time to break down those barriers of your personal issues with whatever the art is that you're creating. And then the other barrier of the safety issue of what kind of a job could I have? I think you found a nice little niche for yourself of like you work teaching improv for the city, which means you're guaranteed a paycheck no matter what. I have to do all my own marketing. I have to do all my own everything. If people don't come and sign up for my classes, I don't get a paycheck. Um, although I realized I make a lot more of my money now as a freelance actor than I do as like an administrator of this kind of stuff. But um, Well, if nobody came to the classes, my classes, I don't have a job. So, sure, sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but you also aren't like sitting there and like... I'm not marketing. Uh, right, yeah, right. That. And And so for me, like... Because of the second bachelor's degree I got, I learned how to build websites, I learned how to do graphic design, I learned how to do producing and promoting and all of this kind of stuff. Because I know how to do it, I'm gonna do it <laughs> because I can't afford to pay someone else to. But then that means I have less time to do the fun stuff. Um, so I think the difference is just safety or even some people just love performing for fun. I've never had... It's always weird to me when one of my students says like, oh no, I don't want to be in the show because I just do this as a hobby. I go, but isn't doing the show part of what makes the hobby fun? Like, it's just a weird thing in my brain. Like, 
improv for me was never frightening. It was always intriguing. Being on stage in front of people has never been a problem. It's always been an opportunity. And so there's just a different mentality to it. Um, and so that part I don't understand. I don't understand about other people. But I. Th <laughs> I um, so what is your like um, um, tip? to the people who want to be a professional improv Where are yeah. they? I think one of the problems in Finland, there aren't many examples of what a professional improviser is or can do. Um, there are some people, not many in Finland, um, maybe none in Finland, but some people in the world who all they do is do improv as a performance for their living and they can make their money that way. Most in the U.S., most of the professional improvisers are also teachers, are also freelance actors, are also writers. They're, you know, a lot of the improvisers in the U.S. worked at one or two different, or in Chicago, when I was there, worked at one or two different companies that loved having, like, people with fun personalities. But then that was their day job. They got paid a salary and benefits, and then they did improv for fun at night. Always, most of them trying to work up to become a professional actor or comedian or something. I don't think there's many people who are like, I'm just going to be like a like a member of a theater company um, who that's all that they do and that's what they get paid is improv. There's some that do it, but I don't think it's a huge goal for most people. I think they want to do it for something else. Um, here in Finland, I think there's that thing that you were talking about earlier, like that barrier of it's scary to do anything... Um, for the bureaucracy reasons, for the safety reasons, but also I think in Finland, people have this humility um, that keeps them from trying to say that I'm good enough at something to do it professionally. <laughs> that keeps them from doing anything, and I don't have an ounce of that. Um, I have like I have a, a lack of a fear of failing at something, and so I'll try something, and if it doesn't work out, oh well, it's a learning experience, and I think that allows me to continue to do the stuff that I do. Um, <laughs> and I've I've gotten good enough at most of it that it's always there as a backup if I try to do something else. But I think in Finland there's... Someone says, I want to be a professional comedian. You go, Puh. okay. Because that's really hard. Um, and there isn't even just in stand-up, there's just now starting to be... Like, Noin Viego Noutiset was one of the... Newer programs where you see like a comedian and they're doing, they went from doing stand up to now having a show. And he was in snorkeling right. first. So. And there's not a ton of people who see these, but how many people who watch that show know that he did improv? Mm, exactly. No. Yeah. It's because... a big it's a big news story in the US every time yeah. someone gets through those one of those schools and now is on some TV show yeah. or some movie and more people need to see those options and understand that improv can get you there if they want to continue doing improv. And then hopefully, when they're at that level, they'll still do improv for fun. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Thank you, Trent. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure. Ba, 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 ba.